Have any of you ever built the easy build-it-yourself furniture like that stuff you find from Ikea? <laughs> Anybody ever built that? Or maybe in the furniture section of uh, Walmart or somewhere like that? Well, I'll tell you what, I've been building a lot of that stuff and we're uh, nearly moved in. Most of it is uh, built correctly and uh, I am really done with it. I'm not trying to build anything else like that. I'm, I'm trying to hit a thrift store. Uh, a yard sale, uh, a garbage dump, whatever it takes to keep me from having to build any more IKEA furniture. Well, the other day I was uh, building Hansel's bed, and here's what happened: I started to build it, and this is really one of them. Somehow there's, there's a leftovers. I have two that are leftover. <laughs> I don't know how that happened exactly. I think they were extras. Yeah, they were extras. And uh, so at any rate, you build the bed, and it's kind of this cool kid bed. It's got like a tent on top, and we're doing loft beds to increase the space in our little, uh, you know, this very unique house we bought. It's a little brick ranch in Livonia. There's, I think it's the only brick house of its type. Uh, they're not on every street, of course. And uh, so anyway, we're trying to maximize the space. So here I am, and I'm building this bed. And as it's almost completely done, you take these little wooden slats and you lay them across where the mattress is going to go, right? Well, here's what you do. You, you put the slat in there, no problem. I'm inside the bed frame, no big deal. I'm only, I'm only about a hundred pounder. And uh, so this isn't going to go poorly, of course. Hundred pounds. That's that's my left side lower portion. And uh, so 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 uh, so at the you put these slats and then you take this thing. They have a name for it, but I'm pretty sure it was Swedish. And uh, so you take this thing, you put this one up underneath it, then you put one in there. Looks really easy, doesn't it? Well, okay, I did the first few and I got into a pattern and I was tired and it had been a long day and I'm putting them in, putting them in. I finally get to the last two. And now the last two, there's no more space for me, so I had to climb out. Now I'm I'm doing this, and I, but, but here's the trouble. Once you're not inside of the bed frame, now you've got to reach over the bed frame and under the bed frame, and I can't really see what I'm doing, and I'm, and I'm pinching my wrist. Like, and these are, not, these are big mitts, right? These mitts, these are, not, these are not delicate. I don't play that piano, right? Like, I punch heavy bags and stuff. Like, these, this is not made for that kind of activity. So I spent, like, no kidding, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. And... Uh, the family. I don't think I was. I don't think any bad words came out of my mouth. I'm pretty sure not. But definitely, there was a lot of frustration and huffing and puffing. And I'm doing this and I'm pinching. And I finally said, "I. That's it. I can't do it. He just. He just doesn't get to sleep here." <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I looked and realized that at the end of the bed, there's a little opening where the ladder goes. So I was on the other side of the ladder doing all of this. All I had to do was walk around, snap, done. Took about two seconds. For 10 minutes, I struggled. I'm not playing around. Sweat dripping down, you know, kicking the thing a little bit. Wow, I was right. It maybe took me a 
it took me longer than the box said it would, but it maybe took me uh, two hours total to build this whole thing. I know the builders are like, what? So it took me maybe two hours to build the whole thing. And in just that time, maybe 30 minutes total on this part that took me so long, I developed such a pattern of how I thought it was supposed to go that when I got to the last two, I couldn't see how obvious and self-evident it was that there was a better way to do the last two. I just got stuck in a pattern. I was tired. Life wears us out. I got agitated because I wanted it to be easy. Life's not always as easy as we hope, is it? I was thoroughly disappointed because I was thinking, well, this kid wants this bed. I'm not going to be able to get it right. He's gonna, if, he, if he falls through this bed, then I'm going to have my wife waking me up in the middle of the night talking about what's wrong with you. <laughs> I knew we should have called somebody to do this. The repetition of the pattern had blinded me to an easier, better, far less painful way to accomplish the same task. I want you to hear that. This is an introductory message, and really this sermon is going to be an introduction to the next three sermons. Today I want to let communion be the centerpiece of what we're doing and introduce these ideas, this Ghostbusters idea. I'm increasingly concerned and convinced by way of personal experience and also of pastoring and shepherding and counseling followers of Christ and interacting with unbelievers that a lot of us are just stuck in patterns. What the Bible refers to as generational curses. We're going to dig into that for a few minutes today by way of introduction to this message series, these four sermons all together. And really, this message is an invitation. I'm going to even give you a little homework assignment to do personally. I'll explain this bulletin insert at the end. Go ahead and pull it out if you'd like. On the back side, there's a little spot to take notes if you're a note taker. The repetition of the pattern had blinded me to what was a far easier way to accomplish the task. My question for you today is what patterns are you locked in from your own life experience? What patterns are you locked in from your own life experience? You know, we only have one Basset Hound now. We used to have two German Shepherds and a Basset Hound. And Christina was talking the other day about having to vacuum up Basset Hound hair. And I said, yeah, but has it ever occurred to you how nose blind we must have been at times to all that German Shepherd hair? Like cluttered up in the corner. I mean, it was ridiculous. And we'd have to, like once a week or whatever, we'd vacuum all that German Shepherd hair up. And I couldn't believe that I had let anyone in my house during that week. But I didn't see it because I was used to it. And I loved my German Shepherds. What are you nose blind to in your own life today? What patterns that you've set in motion or that others have forced on you. This sermon series is an invitation for introspection, to do a little self-examination, a little self-inventory. And then I just hope to point you to the only place of freedom, which is the cross. So what patterns are we locked in from our own life experience? What hurts were thrust on us as kids or in our early adult life or whenever, last Tuesday? that set in motion patterns that we can't break out of, that we just can't see, that, that it's so obvious, it's so self-evident, there are other ways around it. There are ways to get out of this unhealthy pattern, but we're blind to it. 
Have you ever looked at one of those uh, Where's Waldo posters? Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where's Waldo? If you don't know where, where's Waldo, if you don't know about that, I don't know. Well, I, don't, I can't teach you anything. Like, I can't do a thing with that. So where's Waldo, right? It's like this big thing, and he's in there somewhere, but you can't find him. You know, a lot of us have the evidence of generational curses of unhealthy patterns in our life. But we haven't got very good at looking for where it comes from. And I'm convinced over years now of shepherding people and leading people to the cross that that's what's holding a lot of us back from the power of God really taking root in our life. What patterns are you and I locked into from the generations in our past? What generational curses curse us? I heard someone refer to these last night as hand-me-down sins. I love that because I'm all about hand-me-downs. And I grew up in a uh, relatively poor family, by American standards at least, getting hand-me-downs, you know. I loved it that I had a cousin. He took good care of his stuff. Even if it came to me a half-size too small, I was still wearing it because I'd rather wear his Nikes than them old pro wings. What hand-me-down sins exist in your life? What hand-me-down patterns? What things have come to us by way of inheritance that we're essentially blind to because it's just what happened? It's, it, it started 37 generations ago, that negative attitude that we still carry. And we're not even sure what motivates us to be that way. Maybe it was just Grandpa who gossiped about everybody and somehow that's become the normal pattern in our life. What generational patterns, what ghosts, are currently haunting our life. This morning I'm just going to introduce you to some of these key concepts and then point you to the cross by way of communion. And then for the next three messages, I want to try to dig in a little deeper. The central idea of this whole series is stop wearing broken shackles. Those chains are broken. Let them fall off. John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Be honest. Don't raise your hand, but be honest. Are there ever times you hear a passage like that and you're like, then why am I not free from this? Then why can't I let go of that? Then why is that pattern still so prevalent in my life? I dealt with that. That hurt, that pain, I brought it to the cross. We'll focus on communion today because communion is a salve that needs only to be applied for us to find healing, but it's the kind of salve we may have to apply over and over and over and over again. At the outset, I want to be really clear. Listen, here's something that the generational curse is not, okay? Please hear this. The biblical generational curse, that thing described there in Exodus chapter 20, is, does not mean that we are responsible for other people's sins, okay? That's not what it means. That's not, that passage is not God saying, I'm going to judge you for your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents' sins. That's not what it's saying at all. That's inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. That would be a very poor way to understand that passage. And notice the ending, verse 6. And I'll show love to a thousand generations for those who seek me, for those who love me. In those days, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 31, in those days, people will no longer say the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Instead, everyone will die for his own sin. 
Whoever eats sour grapes, his own teeth will be set on edge. Listen, individuals are held accountable for individual sins. However, how many of you are fully aware of the reality that those patterns of sin and unhealthy behavior, it doesn't even have to be direct sin, unhealthy things, things that keep us from God's best in our life, that those things our parents, their parents, Uncle Tony, weird Aunt Susie, you know, whatever, that those patterns, that they have a way of creeping into our lives and perpetuating themselves. So much so that very often it is the case we don't even know where those patterns come from. Thomas Monton, the Puritan preacher, he commented on this topic saying this, Punishments are either temporary, temporal, or they are eternal. For eternal, no man is punished with eternal punishment for another's sins properly and directly. There we stand upon our own personal account. Occasionally a child may be punished eternally for his father's sin in this way, as being deprived of the means of grace by the parents' revolt from the true religion. As for external means, the parents, who are a kind of trustee, may put away the means of grace from their families. If a family reject the strictness of profession of faith, you know, I love the way the Puritans spoke, and give themselves to cursing, swearing, uncleanness, gaming, and hatred of reformation, that is spiritual growth, and of a lively ministry, the children born in that family may be justly left behind to be wicked by these examples and prejudiced against the ways of God. So what does all that mean? You and I are not responsible for the sins of our parents, the sins of the past. The ghost of the past, however, may continue to haunt us because the patterns set in place, they're still present. I'll give you a personal example of mine. I am the son of many generations of male alcoholics. And for many of these men, I'm not talking about problem drinkers. I'm talking about severe alcoholism on both sides of my family for many generations. It is for this reason that I completely abstain from alcohol. The severity of the consequences of alcoholism in my life are so painfully obvious to me that I must be the link in that chain that breaks. I'm not responsible for my dad's alcoholism. I'm not responsible for the sins that he commits because of his severity of disease. However, as Monton writes, when you grow up in a house where that's the pattern, it's very easy for you to fall into the pattern. And alcoholism is only one of countless examples of the unhealthy and sinful patterns that we may inherit from our fathers and our mothers. As a ministry family, Christina and I abstain from alcohol altogether for other reasons, to protect our reputation and never to be a stumbling block for an unbeliever, or even more importantly to us, for believers in recovery. If you see me drinking, you don't know if it was my first or my 50th. And if the Lord has called Christina and I to have influence over anyone, then it strikes us as consistent to live what Paul said in Romans 14.21. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else 
that will cause your brother to fall. And we don't push that off on people. That's just how the Lord has led us. I'm not culpable for any of those sins of those men. Not my father whose life was destroyed and continues to be shipwrecked entirely by severe alcoholism. Not my grandfather who was a brilliant man but much of his potential was robbed because of his alcoholism. Not my mother's father who abandoned her as a little girl. I'm not responsible for any of their sins. But I'm a fool if I don't recognize that those patterns were put in place and I need to pay attention to how they might affect me. And that, I would suggest to you, is what a generational curse is. It's not that I'm responsible for somebody else's sin. It's not even that that sin somehow mystically makes its way into my life. No. By way of example, by way of experience, by way of having the means of grace withheld from me. My dad had no interest in the things of God, so therefore I wasn't exposed. Be very careful, mother or father, saying, I'm not going to take my kids to church, but I'll let them decide for themselves. Because our example of not taking them is an example unto itself. Be very cautious of the examples we set in front of our children, and let's be extra cautious And start to become more aware of those patterns of behavior that exist in us that we've inherited, those ghosts that are still haunting us. And that's not to suggest that this sermon series isn't about blaming past generations for our personal sin. It's not about scapegoating mom and dad for the things that we do wrong. It's nothing like that at all. And let's also not be so foolish so as to think that mom and dad and past generations haven't given us great beautiful things as well. But I suspect there are at least a few of us in this place that if we're prayerful about it can identify some patterns in our life that are either sinful or they're at least holding us back from experiencing all that God would have for us, all of his joy, all of his comfort, all of the mystery of his love, all of his power, because we wear those patterns like armor that keeps his best away from our hearts. That's our inheritance from Adam. It's mostly sin. A propensity to sin, that is, we're prone to it. A tendency to sin, that is, we've all done it. And even a love for sin. Because let's be honest, some of us are so good at our sin and prefer it so much that it takes great discipline even to keep it away. Listen to this from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. I've pulled a few excerpts out of here. I want you to pay careful attention to this, if you would, this morning, as these thoughts will lay the foundation for the next two sermons and then the last one after that. Here's what the Bible says. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. This is what uh, the apostle is Stating in Romans 7, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. sin. And listen to what he says. I do not understand what I do. In other words, there are blind patterns in his life. Things that he's on autopilot doing. There are are things the apostle is saying, look, I, I want to do what is right. I know that the law is spiritual. I know that it's good to keep it, but I'm unspiritual. I don't even understand what I do. Many of us have patterns in our lives that we're blind to, and I want to invite you over the next few weeks to do some serious, prayerful self-examination. 
What patterns are happening in your life that may be painfully obvious to those around you? Your wife has been telling you for 20 years, you don't listen to me when I talk. I'm just saying, maybe anybody else? I'm just saying, you don't listen to me when I talk. And because we're blind to the pattern of ignoring voices we don't want to hear, at times we don't want to hear it, we just keep perpetuating it. The apostle said he was blind to his own patterns. I do not understand what I do. He says, for what I want to do, listen to this, it's not even easy to read it. For what I want to do, I do not do, but I hate what I do. Next week, I want to talk to you about innate motivations. What's motivating the things that we're up to in our life? If you and I are called to be pulled out of the world, saved by Jesus Christ, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, then our internal motivations ought to at least be, be ever becoming more and more like that. Motivated by the kingdom things. Motivated by the Holy Spirit. Motivated by the cross. But most of us have some ghosts that are still haunting us. Some internal motivations. We're like the woman who grandma was at her house some of you no doubt have heard this story and she goes to prepare the roast and uh, she cut the roast in half and then she threw cut it cut the tip off and and she made the roast fit into her little pan and then she threw away part of the roast and then and their moms you know her grandma's there and grandma says why on earth did you just do that the whole thing would have fit in your pan and she said well i grew up watching mom cut the roast in half cut the tip off fit it in there and throw the rest away and then grandma says we only did that because we didn't have a pan big enough for the whole roast what are you doing? Why did you just throw that away? Blind patterns. In Haiti, we try to teach people how to do agriculture differently, and they say, well, this is the way we've always done it. And then in a climate where you can have essentially a constant growth pattern, Haiti's like a greenhouse. They're only planting once a year and avoiding the harvest. What harvests are we avoiding? Because we're stuck in generational patterns. We need to have the humility as parents and grandparents to be honest about what we may have passed on. And we need to have the humility as children and as parents to pay attention to what's happening inside of us. For what uh, I have, for I have the desire, the apostle says, to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Goodness gracious. Dragging around broken shackles, free, but still a slave to sin. I want to encourage you today. Listen, people are complex. Our motivations come from various sources. And I'm fully aware that we're going to go over an hour. It's Communion Sunday. And uh, we're going to celebrate God's goodness on Communion Sunday. I want to I challenge you, go out of your way to be here, even though you know service will last 10 to 15 minutes longer than normal. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I'm going to do some weird preacher stuff. Now turn to your neighbor and say, that's all right. I'll just play. You don't, you don't have to do that. <laughs> that's where even I draw the line. Listen, people are complex. People are complex. And we need to recognize in ourselves the complexities of our motivations, of our patterns, of our sin habits. And I want to invite you to do something. Try to see what you're blind to for the next few weeks. And then see what God might do in you 
to change your patterns of behavior. I want to invite you to clean house. It's time to get the ghosts out. There's no ghosts haunting you. No metaphysical beings, no spooks, no, uh, what do you call the things, uh, uh, no uh, slimers, right? This is from that movie, Ghostbusters. There's no slimers running around, none of that weird stuff. But most of our homes are filled with the residue of ghosts. The other day we were watching this show, I'll conclude with this, and we're going to move towards communion, so if the deacons want to prepare for that. Uh, I, uh, we were watching this show, or at least preparing your mind, I guess, I don't know. And uh, so we're watching this show, this Forged in Fire show, where, have you ever seen this, where they have like knife makers and they're making knives, right? And uh, then they test the strength of the knife. And this one knife maker, he put his thing in the forge, he's hammering it out to judges who are going to tell him who wins the contest. They're saying, that knife is going to break, it's not strong. And he just kept doing more things to it in an effort to strengthen it that the judges kept saying, that's making it worse. He kept putting it back into the forge but not holding it in long enough. And then he drilled a hole in the knife blade. He kept doing all of these things. And the judges are saying, he's making it less strong, but he just won't let it go. He keeps doing it. And then one of the judges, they took this knife this man had made, they put it on a steel sheet, he hammered it down with a, with a big mallet, and the thing just broke. Every now and then, we need to be honest enough to say that what we keep doing to our lives may be making it worse. Put ourselves back into the forge and let the flame of the Holy Spirit heat us up to reshape us. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we're given an opportunity to do that very thing. The Apostle Paul says, don't eat this in a manner unworthy. But let each one examine himself as he comes to the Lord's table. And let this be done in such a way so as to strengthen and edify and to constantly be shaping us. You know, I, I was uh, pastoring a church in a sweet older woman whom I still love very much. She said to me one day, she said, you hold out too much hope for people. I said, Probably. She said, you hold out too much hope for people. Leopards don't change their spots. I thought about it for a while, and I said, you know, the thing is, God finds you a leopard, and he changes you into a lamb. He makes you a sheep. But that process doesn't happen like that. It's a constant, ongoing process. And if you and I are going to see the power of God in our life and experience the fullness of joy... We're going to have to be willing to keep coming back to the Lord's table in the same way that this man should have come back to the forge and done things a little differently. God is at work changing us. You and I must participate. I want to invite you to do this. Okay? On your own, this is private and personal. Take a look at this later at home and uh, go through this little personal inventory. This is a generational curse personal questionnaire. I, I italicize personal because I do not want to see a bunch of these floating around, right, with your personal information on. That's not what this is for. Take a look at these questions and maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's someone in this place or some people in this place through whom God will make some radical changes in our lives. It doesn't matter if you're two or 102 or 5 or 55, God is yet at work in our hearts. And I want to invite you to take a close examination of those patterns that you may be stuck in. Don't be like me. Just keep doing it the same way. There's a better way.